0: Welcome back to the YouBlockity podcast with me, Don Birch. This is the podcast where we get to speak to thought leaders from around the world. And I'm absolutely delighted this week to welcome Peter Bracia, Not least because we used to kick around Asda House in Leeds together, but now he's far away in the exotic world of Thailand. Peter, welcome to the YouBlockity podcast.
1: Thanks a lot, Don. Yeah, it, it was like three countries ago for me, um, as the, but it was a good time. That was a high energy company in those days.
0: Certainly was. What have you been up to since then? Where's that journey taken you? Because you've been in the world of compliance and regulation. And so what have you been up to?
1: Yeah, well, I went from um, from Leeds to to Bombay and I helped Mukesh Ambani. He's, he's the richest guy in India. I helped him set up a retail company. Uh, which was fun, but seven days a week working, 16-hour days, um, Indian style, I'd had enough after three years. So then um, I helped NSF, the American company, set up their operations throughout Asia-Pacific, so that's like a food safety certification auditing business um, based in Thailand, but working throughout the whole Asia-Pacific region, and and that was good fun. But um, now, now I'm working with SCI, and I'm helping them to develop alternatives to traditional auditing.
0: And, and what does that look like now? Because I guess the world of technology has moved so much in the last 10, 15 years. You know, we've been looking at big data, we've been talking about algorithms, and we've seen, you know, technology companies like Facebook just completely revolutionise how digital advertising works. In the world that you come from of, you know, regulation and compliance, and how are you seeing that world develop? Are we at a sort of crossing point now? Is, is it really getting to that point where new ways of working are really beginning to accelerate.
1: They aren't, it's just starting. I think regulators being government tend to be a bit behind the curve. But Dubai is a one shining example where they're they're really at the forefront. Dubai have linked all their food safety enforcement systems into one single online system. So Every food business in Dubai must be registered and must be online. And they have to have like a, a person in charge a food safety trained and their training records are online, has to be on, on, on site and like log in. You know, I'm here. I'm now the person in charge for the following few hours. So they know in every food business who's the boss at any point in time. They also know what they're producing and they can just at the, at the click of a button. They can do a recall. They can do food poisoning investigations, they can target their inspections, and they're also starting to use data from from the training records which are online, the complaints records, the food poisoning allegations, it's all online. So the Dubai Enforcement Officers target their inspections, it's no longer, well in in my day, I I was an environmental health officer on the beat years ago, I mean, we just think, oh, where are we going to go today? You know, we haven't been, been to that Chinese restaurant for a while. Let's pop in. It's now targeted. I think they're leading and I think other enforcement agencies will follow.
0: And as you see those sorts of things beginning to occur, and it must be refreshing for you, you know, I go back to the retail days and we'd have sort of by exception reports, wouldn't we? You'd have a, a store estate of maybe four or 500 shops and you'd be looking at various measures, wouldn't you, and going, the last time we went and inspected them six months ago, they performed badly here. It's a little black mark. And that would, to some extent, allow you to sort of be a bit more surgical, a bit more forensic about targeting your limited resources And trying to fix where the real issues were, rather than just sort of, as you say, randomly popping up to the next shop and hoping that you were going to find something, or or conversely, hoping you didn't find something. Data and technology Uh, and algorithms, I guess, are really beginning to do some of that hard work for us.
1: They are, yes. And as well as targeting limited resources better, like you say, it's also more positive. It drives the right behaviours. I mean, I've, I've made a career out of enforcement and then, and then traditional audits, but I've always had a suspicion that it, it really wasn't the best way. It creates gaming. When you turn up to audit a, a supplier, a manufacturer, there'll be a QA person who, who knows exactly what you're going to look for, knows the standard. One of them even said to me, he has what he called the yellow brick road. And he leads the auditors on this yellow brick road, and he's carefully placed a few few minor non-conformances, you know, wash basin with no sanitizer. He's also placed his best trained people who can give the right answers. They've checked all the records that they know the auditor's gonna look at. It's just a game. Um, And with restaurant auditing, in the the, the operation I set up in Asia Pacific, we dominated restaurant auditing. So we're doing 65, 70,000 audits a year for like all the big QSR businesses and the retailers, but they could predict when we were coming. There was was one example where the the area manager even employed a private eye to follow the auditors. And then they'd look at, oh, this is the path. They're going to go to this restaurant next. Let's get everything ready. This is just wasted effort. So what what I was looking for is, is there something that can not dilute that responsibility of the management and the owners you know, stop it becoming a battle between auditors or government inspectors and, and the local management and actually make it something that will benefit customers. So that, so that was the aim of what I've been doing with SCI.
0: And talk me through an example then. Let's use a, a prawn farm in Thailand. You know, the start point might be desk research. It might be good old-fashioned spreadsheets and data analysis and asking questions of a supplier but then over time moving that into something that does create an algorithm and then potentially you're going to get, what, machine-to-machine data feeds, APIs coming into a system, and your ability then to be far more proactive rather than reactive.
1: The way I see it is the on-site audit by an auditor is the last stage. It's like a last resort. There is so much data available now that sending someone, sometimes on a plane or going one country to another, is hugely inefficient and just encourages this gaming. Instead, we can use the big data that's available. So yeah, prawn farms a good example. What you want to know is, first thing is, are the prawns actually coming from that farm? I and mean, what happens is that some countries, they run into problems with antibiotics or disease and their exports get stopped or the big buyers stop buying from that particular country. So all they do is they ship it through another So you don't know, this prawn farm in Thailand could be selling Indian shrimp, for all you know. The first thing you could do is satellite images. You can look at the size of the pond. How many square meters surface area of pond can you be? And then there's just a direct mathematical relationship. How much shrimp of a particular size you could possibly produce from that farm is directly related to the size of the ponds. So that's the first thing you can look at without even leaving your desk you need to obtain verifiable data. So you get a feed from the farm and you you can do this through a simple, free to download mobile phone app. I mean, all farmers now have mobile phones, smartphones, India, Thailand, they're universal as are improving cellular connections. So what you do is you ask him rather than do a self audit where he ticks everything to say, everything's wonderful. You ask him verifiable questions. You say, How much feed did you buy last month and upload your receipts? So that's verifiable. And you can see, okay, cross-reference, size of pond, average size shrimp they're selling, how much feed have they bought, and then have a look at how much you're buying. And the way the market works now is food's actually in short supply worldwide. So a buyer will typically buy everything that small farm in Thailand produces. So you know how much shrimp they're buying and you just cross-reference that. And as you say, Dom, this is the work of algorithms. You don't even need people to do that. So you get a dashboard that would just alarm out and say, this farm is supplying more shrimp than is possible for that size of pond from the satellite records and for the amount of feed they're buying. So you're checking the data. Then you can ask other questions about numbers of staff and ask to see payroll, which also helps check social compliance. You can check for things like that because it should be pay records that show how much you're paying that should be above minimum wage. And you know another algorithm, how many people are needed to produce that much shrimp. So again, it's cross-referenced. So you use yeah. data first and you use a site visit just to check that your data is right. Someone's not being really clever and trying to fool you. So it's not an audit. You send someone for spot checks, just so they have the data in their hand and say, okay, does it all look right on the
0: farm? And I suppose once you start getting that verifiable data, and and it it sounds really similar to the world we're operating in, where we're trying to say what data feeds exist, which are digital, which are held centrally, which are verifiable. Can we use multi-factor verification? So can we use two ways to kind of look and pincer movement, if you like, that data, just to say, you know, let's use a satellite image, but let's also do a spot check. And as you start to build up confidence and trust, I guess, in those data feeds, Then it's about where do you put that data, and do you see a future then where your world starts interlocking with the world of the blockchain, where you start to then say, let's store that data in an immutable format and only give access to those who need to have access to it? Could be government, could be customs, could be auditors, or it could even be the customer, couldn't it? It could be the retailer who says, actually... I want a finger on the button right now to say, are all of my prawns coming from a sustainable source?
1: That, I think, is a really exciting area, because if you put the data in the the blockchain and you have it linked to the product, I've seen, I've been around shops now where customers can scan a barcode with their mobile phone and and it's supposed to tell you where the clothes come from, um, how much carbon or water was produced, but you don't know if it's right. But if it's verifiable data that's been checked in the blockchain, then you you can trust what you see. I think it also, it's an advantage to businesses. If you're running a restaurant that your customers expect ethical standards or a hotel, and if you want to say, right, this, this shrimp has come from this farm where they pay a living wage to all their people, and our checks have shown that You know, they're not using antibiotics. Again, you can check growth rates. That gives a a lot of faith for the customer. You know, the customers can trust the data and they can see the whole chain themselves all the way back to the farm if they want.
0: And I guess over time then, that also begins to open up more insight, doesn't it? So once you know that that data is verifiable, it's had multi-factor verification, you, you can trust it. Over time, I guess, that builds up, you know, a history for that farm for that product, for that country, for that supplier, and gradually, when I mean, you sort of fast forward five years, ten years time, the richness then of that data and been able to overlay other things—environmental factors, weather factors, economic factors—even because we're in a time now, aren't we, Peter, where you know economies are really, really struggling, cost pressures huge. I mean, we're seeing potentially up to 20% inflation in food, which is, you know, for a generation or two, just unheard of. We've never lived through a time like that, most of us on the planet. That's going to put huge pressure, isn't it, onto the system, into the supply base. And I guess, you know, from your experience, when cost pressures are really, really extreme, does that lead to more corner cutting, you know, less compliance? You know, how how do we overcome those things?
1: I'm old enough to have been an enforcement officer at a time when we had we had bad inflation and the UK had a recession what it meant was that we were looking for food fraud in that time the early food safety legislation was about adulteration and fraud because people were simply trying to cut costs and watering down the beer was the first cases but that's coming back i mean in china just last year there was a company actually making artificial eggs and you think the, the effort required in making an artificial egg, surely it would be easier to let the hen do it, but actually it's it's cheaper. So that sort of behavior we're going to see more of, and also cutting on, on staff. You can see post-COVID hotels and restaurants are really struggling to get their act together because they lost a lot of the best staff. Now they're trying to recruit at the lowest possible cost. So one of the other things we've been doing is also simple available data is you want to know if people are properly trained in food safety in restaurants, for example. So what we do is we ask people to upload their training records and that's online. So we get a feed from that, but we also look at the HR records. So you can see how many new starters has a restaurant had, and you can cross check that to see if they've properly been trained in food safety. And then you're talking about data before Dom, it's big data we will be able to see exactly how many people are needed to run a particular source of restaurant in a particular region. So inner city ones near business premises have sudden peak times. They'll tend to need 50% more staff than one that has steady trade in a shopping mall, for example. So you can see have they got enough staff and have they been properly trained, including the new starters. And that's a vital element in food safety. And by using data, you don't need to send someone in to see if someone's cost cutting, because that's cost additive. And an on-site audit is around £250 for a restaurant and about £1,200 for a supplier. Now, if you can cut that down so you need to maybe do one a year to check that there's nothing really odd going on, just to verify that your data flows are right. That's a huge saving for companies. One of the biggest QSR companies spends more than... 50 million dollars a year just on auditing. So In inflationary times, this is a great opportunity to not just save money, but replace it with a better system.
0: What are your hopes for the future, Peter? Because, you know, let's be optimistic for a moment and allow ourselves to dream of this kind of (laughs) nirvana that's just out of reach (laughs) at the moment. But, you know, as you see the world shifting so much and, you know, I, I, I talked to somebody else about this recently. And it always feels like every generation always feel like they're at the cusp of this amazing you know, revolution in the world. But it really does feel like that at the moment. What are your hopes for the future? What what can you see coming around the corner that you know us mere mortals haven't yet spotted?
1: I think it's absolute confidence in what we're eating and drinking. At the moment we we all suspect, you know, there's probably pesticides on the fruit and vegetables, but we don't know. Um, you know, we hope that our water is is safe. And there's nothing more important, nothing more important than what we eat and drink is is gonna keep us healthy. So I think we're we're gonna get to a point in an interconnected world with wise use of data. It can't be completely automated. The systems that we've been developing with SCI, we start off using experts, people do desktop reviews, then we study what they do, and then we just use algorithms to replace the routine bits. But you still have some oversight of a person but uh, this cross-reference verifiable data in a blockchain is the oversight of a real person. So you've got AI, and like RI, you know, real intelligence and artificial intelligence working together so that you can be sure that what you buy is going to be safe. I can't think of anything much more valuable than that
0: absolutely well listen Peter we'll have to leave it there but thank you so much for for joining us on the podcast uh, this morning and this afternoon no doubt where you are it's been an absolute pleasure catching up with you the, let's not leave it quite as long to catch up next time around <laughs>
1: yes I'll let you know when I'm next in UK Dom great to catch up again